This is Voices of Public Health, the JSI podcast. Well, good morning, Dr. Nabila. Welcome to, uh, to Boston. It's nice to have you here. Delighted to be with you, Nancy. Thank you. Dr. Nabila, you're completing a huge project focused on health system strengthening in Pakistan. Why don't you go ahead and describe the project for our listeners today? The health system strengthening component is one of the components of uh, USAID MCH program. So it was not a standalone uh, project, it was part of the larger MCH program of USAID. Uh, JSI was responsible for implementing the health system strengthening piece, which is kind of new mm-hmm. in Pakistan. And I would say also new for USAID. Mm-hmm. So when we started off, we had several meetings with stakeholders, we reviewed documents, and we tried to figure out why there we are not seeing the impact of uh, donor-funded projects, not just USAID, other donor-funded projects as well. Uh, so many donors have come to Pakistan, so much funding comes in, but why don't we see the impact the desired results that should have been there. Mm. And it was very obvious that health systems was never addressed Mm. in the past. Mm -hmm. And it was always, you know, from a project perspective, either it was service delivery or behavior change or both, you know. But then there are certain um, service delivery components which are not directly with patients or clients, Mm. but in the background they play such a vital role that strengthen the system. Mm -hmm. For example, if there are human resource gaps, then the service delivery cannot produce the desired results. Mm -hmm. Likewise, if the funding is not uh, adequate, so then you have to go for uh, and look at all the financing mechanisms and the budgeting uh, processes Mm -hmm. to bring in effectiveness and efficiencies in those. Likewise, the leadership plays a very critical role. Mm -hmm. Is the leadership aware of the priorities in health and uh, are they aware what needs to be done to achieve uh, or improve the indicators which are not very, uh, which are suboptimal I would say in Pakistan. They are not uh, as we would have liked them to be when it comes to maternal health, newborn health, child health, nutrition indicators, there's a lot that can be done. So what are some of the things? Are we investing in the right uh, place? Are we investing at the right level? Uh, so what went wrong? You know, So there was this analysis that we carried out before we started designing the whole health system strengthening component. Wow. And this required a lot of reading, you know, WHO uh, building blocks, and then uh, how to have a resilient uh, health system, you know, experiences from across the world. But uh, I was really surprised to see that there is very little written down on health systems. Mm. So we actually uh, looked at the context within Pakistan and even within Pakistan, the province of Sindh, which is the second largest province. So uh, and the timing were really, uh, you know, they worked for us because uh, we had... uh, Pakistan had just completed a large reform of uh, devolution, Mm -hmm. which meant that uh, the health services, they were passed on to the provinces. Mm -hmm. And a lot of uh, responsibility of health implementation, planning and regulation went down to the province. And then there were some responsibilities at the federal level. For example, global health security agenda that had to be pursued. Mm -hmm. Pakistan is signatory to many Uh, international uh, pacts Mm -hmm. like MDGs in the past, now SDGs. So we couldn't miss the federal uh, Mm -hmm. component, which Mm -hmm. was the Ministry of National Health Services Regulation and Coordination. And at the provincial level, we we first carried out assessments, you know, of human resource capacity. When I say human resource, we also looked at the leadership uh, qualities and uh, the capacity to uh, take on this new responsibility and role after devolution. So we invested in developing the capacity of uh, mid-level managers who Mm -hmm. still have like 10 years of active service remaining so that they can plan better, budget better, implement better, 
try to figure out why things are not working mm-hmm. so so that was one of our interventions you know investing in building the human capacity but when i say human uh, the capacity building strategy uh, we figured out that from a systems perspective it can't be just you know sending people off for two years masters public health uh, co- training or short training pro- programs it also required work to be done at the systems level and at the institutional level mm-hmm. so that even when the project ends it is not that we have trained couple of uh, health managers the system is ready to take them and the system is ready to continue and build the capacity on an ongoing basis mm-hmm. so that sustainability was you know always at the back of our mind so that is how we started with leadership mm-hmm. then well it's an important it's a, an important change from a lot of the way that programs are run particularly around service delivery that's an important lesson of how you sort of looked from the beginning at sustainability and, and probably carried that throughout the project what are some of the other things that went well during the project and some of the lessons that you learned from applying this sort of new way of looking at you know improving the health system so nancy um i have been working in public health field for quite some time yeah. and i'll be very honest that i always thought that service delivery was the way to you know bring a change mm-hmm. but with this project implementing health system strengthening and designing and coming up with what is required and why you know um it really challenged me and uh, we looked at some of the things which were never looked at by either the department of health government of sindh or uh, by the development partners that how important it is to look at the process of uh, budgeting mm-hmm. and how the money should trickle down to the beneficiaries and the clients mm-hmm. and how we can bring in it's not always more money or more funds required sure. it is the efficiency and the way we use the allocated funds also mm-hmm. so our idea or our uh, you know intervention was to bring in efficiency in whatever is available and whatever is allocated and at the same time try to rationalize some of the redundant activities which were going on you know and take them out and uh, instead bring in those interventions which would really bring a change mm-hmm. so that required uh, budgeting from uh, a perspective of the local context mm-hmm. and that it should be performance based mm-hmm. so we moved ahead the entire province moved from incremental budgeting to performance based budgeting so which this, is so this is a health project but you were working with the department of health and the department of finance absolutely absolutely and this is for the first time that i realize that health has no boundaries mm-hmm. especially public health mm-hmm. and you have to engage other sectors also mm-hmm. not just finance education sector communication population mm-hmm. and uh, private sector pharmaceutical and i'm going to talk about it uh, you know that why and how they were so important mm-hmm. but yes finance department was uh, engaged involved and the entire province moved from incremental budgeting which meant that you just add 10% uh, for inflation every year and there you go the budget is ready but this new format which is medium term budgetary framework which is performance based budgeting mm-hmm. you have to have a district action plan for each district because that's the beauty of devolution mm-hmm. that instead of planning for the entire country sitting uh, you know far away uh, you plan for a, these are smaller management units you plan for the district mm-hmm. come up with district uh, needs and demands and then design your whole district action plan based on what is uh, you know required for the people mm-hmm. of that district mm-hmm. and then allocate funding accordingly it may be less it may be more mm-hmm. so that is why we use the word rationalization of budgeting so under this project there was a shift in the way in which um budgets were created from the national level to the district level uh, what some of the results of that intervention alone what's the impact have you seen directly from this from this idea 
Yeah. So the budgets, you know, after devolution, the province was responsible to uh, prepare the budget for the mm-hmm. province and the districts. So the district's budget would come and uh, be part of the provincial uh, overall budget. Mm-hmm. When we uh, started the project in 2013, April of 2013, we realized that overall the budget amount looks good mm-hmm. according to the population. Mm-hmm. But when we went deep into where this budget is allocated, like how it is spread out, on what activities, we realized that majority of the funds, they were going for new construction, procurement, and uh, things which were very, which are useful, Mm -hmm. but a lot of uh, funding was going on uh, this, the development side, and the non-development part, which is primary health care, and uh, which goes directly to the beneficiaries and clients, you know, mm-hmm. that was minimal. Mm-hmm. So we have seen 137% increase since 2014. Wow. This is really remarkable. Of the government's own money towards primary health care. Government's own money towards mm-hmm. primary health care. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And this is where, why I believe that health systems is so important to invest in by the donors uh, because then, uh, you know, the return for your investments, you can see that. So a lot of the work that your project undertook required technical assistance at various levels of the health system. In a health system strengthening program, why is it critical to have different points of intervention? Yeah, that was very important, you know, that we don't just work at the provincial level and say we have done everything because, you know, in a health system, there are uh, in each dist- in each province, there are, you know, different levels. Mm-hmm. One is the provincial level where all the planning and budgeting and, uh, uh, you know, uh, policy making takes place. But then there is a level uh, where, you know, the director general health services sits you know and uh, looks at the entire province from technical point of view and service delivery implementation and operational uh, you know how the policies are translated into action mm-hmm. so that was another level and the third level was the district itself mm-hmm. including the health facilities and the communities mm-hmm. so there are basically three levels that we had to work with mm-hmm. and um, you know uh, try to link them up because when we started we realized you know our initial assessment it was very clear from the findings that there was a disconnect between the district Mm -hmm. the director general health uh, office and the secretary health's office Mm -hmm. so we wanted to bridge that gap Mm -hmm. and it it was not just uh, you know uh, that uh, we brought them together at one place Uh, What I mean is that developing communication channels Mm -hmm. and developing means of uh, uh, to access the information, Mm -hmm. which easy in uh, access to information, which is generated by the district, you know, because district is the hub for all implementation Mm -hmm. of health services. Mm -hmm. So if how good or bad the district is performing, the MIS, the monitoring information systems, they provide information but if they are manual if they're in the form of a report it takes a long time to reach to the province Mm -hmm. and to take any action based on that and then by then it's an old newspaper Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. so we wanted to bring in uh, you know speed and we wanted to bring in easy access you know how we can do that so the way we worked was to bring all these monitoring information systems online Mm. which are Mm web-based and which are connected integrated so now you know the dashboard which has uh, you know a set of indicators there are 38 indicators which the province decided that they are our key performance indicators and the policy makers the managers they would like to see you know how good or bad we are performing on them on an ongoing basis you know day-to-day basis Mm -hmm. So that is what we did. So you brought data um, and from the field at the community level, and you brought it into using you know using technology to create an online interoperable dashboard that made data available 
um, to a variety of different stakeholders. And it, and it was available to everyone? Yes. Okay. Because, you know, these are online. So anybody who has a laptop or yeah. a computer or a cell phone these days, and uh, if you have uh, the password for that, mm-hmm. you can access even sitting here in Boston. So why why was it a, why was it so important? Why why was it so important to make that data available to various levels of the health system? In your opinion, because you see, as I said, that I was always uh, working on the service delivery, newborn care, maternal health, mm-hmm. and all of that. But it is of no good if what we are doing does not get to the uh, policymakers or to the decision makers in time yeah. for decision making. Mm-hmm. And this was precisely the case in Pakistan and mm-hmm. in Sindh, that there was work being done, good or bad, nobody had any idea. So the important thing is to bring in transparency. Mm-hmm. By bringing the data online, we bring, bring transparency. You know, it is not just service statistics, it is also the budgets and uh, their uh, how the budgets are utilized and uh, what is the level of expenditure. Mm-hmm. So that rather than waiting for a year to get a report and then say, oh, we need to do better. Mm-hmm. This is you can take corrective measures there and then. Mm-hmm. So you can provide supportive supervision, you know, to improve the situation. Mm-hmm. So it wasn't just the tool itself. There was technical assistance that was provided on how to interpret the data and what the trends were, what you know, the health planner was seeing within the district. Nancy, I'll share with you that when we started off this intervention, we thought it is very simple. It's technology. Let's just uh, put up uh, data online and people will start using it. Mm-hmm. And that's it. But there's a whole science that goes behind that. Mm -hmm. And what is it? The data that is entered, it starts from there, from the health facility or from the community by the lady health worker or the community midwife or the health Mm -hmm. facility, rural health center, any level of health facilities. Mm -hmm. The the data when it is entered, it should be quality data. Mm -hmm. It should be according uh, to whatever services are offered and not cooked data. Mm -hmm. Because you must have heard a lot garbage in is garbage out yeah sure so this was a challenge for us you know what to do with that Mm -hmm. so we started off by starting a mentoring program we said we are not going to bring everybody in a classroom setting and say two days workshop because then you know people come and go and we don't know how much they use that when they go back and one person can come from a facility so our field managers they went to the health facilities and rather than one or two people they sat down with the entire team at the health facility or with the lady health workers program build their capacity through mentoring approach Mm. that looking at what gaps were there in their previous month's report and uh, why you know that there are data discrepancies why the timeliness is not followed so you know compliance to all these things quality timeliness and the readiness of the health facility to enter that data uh, according to the timelines which are provided because then the system locks itself mm-hmm. and uh, then uh, you know uh, the performance of that facility cannot be gauged so we built the capacity of uh, the those who are uh, gathering data mm-hmm. and the managers to use the data and if they don't believe in the data and if they have any questions about the quality of that data they can always go out and that was the system that we designed and it was monitoring and supervisory system Mm -hmm. okay leave the comfort zone of your office and go to the field validate that data and uh, uh, once or twice if a manager goes to a health facility and points out towards the gaps in the data then next time there is improvement and we did see improvement Mm -hmm. there were like 6,000 error reports which are auto-generated by the computer Mm. and just by you know uh, going in the field for monitoring supervision by the managers which has really improved uh, we have seen that the error reports have come down to 2,500 or 2,000 you know it's like less than half now and we are hoping that it will further go down wow well it's amazing that all of the data both the facility data 
and sort of the, 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 the MIS data was available in the same place the monitoring and supervision data was available to really link you know, the mm. performance of these health workers. Um, why is it so critical to have these monitoring and supervision systems in place? And w why is it critical to actually improve service delivery and the overall health system in many of the countries? Monitoring and supervision is, uh, I would say that it is backbone of the health system strengthening mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. component, you know, or the project. Because unless the managers, they start taking interest in the performance of uh, the, uh, the entire uh, healthcare delivery system, things will not move in the right direction. So by doing this, you know, and as I said, that that brought in transparency. And the second thing was that by monitoring supervision, the process of accountability started. Mm. So transparency, accountability, if both are there, and if feedback is provided to the healthcare providers, you know, what to do and what not to do, where they are working well and where not. For example, the Director General Health Services Office, uh, we established a monitoring and evaluation cell over there. And we built the capacity, the analytical capacity of uh, managers who are sitting at the DG's office mm -hmm. to look at the data and then provide feedback, go to the field also for monitoring visits, but also by reviewing the data, look at the trends. Mm -hmm. So if there are measles cases which are showing an upward trend, then write letters to the uh, those particular districts and health facilities mm -hmm. and they ask them, what are you doing to improve the routine immunization system? Um, have you, uh, you know, are these confirmed cases? What? Mm -hmm. so, so this is like, this whole uh, cycle has started. Yeah. Transparency, because the data is online, there is easy access, and then, uh, you know, accountability, providing feedback. And if you have transparency, if you have accountability, and if there are monitoring supervisory visits which are validating the data, then, and the capacity of uh, uh, the healthcare providers and the leadership is there, then that improves governance. Mm. And this was one of the objective for our project, to improve mm -hmm. governance. Mm -hmm accountability and transparency so it made a difference just to know that somebody was looking at your work yes and uh, I can share an example when the lady health workers data was brought online for the first time when the uh, the minister dr. Azra Pechio who's uh, responsible for uh, the oversight on all primary health care programs when she saw that the lady health workers stockouts are uh, amazing you know they were like more than 80 percent or 50 percent or six you know they were more than 50 percent mm -hmm. uh, across but in some facilities they did not have uh, the lady health workers they did not have any uh, commodities mm -hmm. so uh, there was a big question mark on the program and lady health workers program is considered as flagship program for pakistan you know mm -hmm because they are in the community and they are uh, the extension workers of uh, the health uh, public sector. Mm -hmm. So everybody was surprised to see that. And then immediately they took an action mm -hmm. that the project planning document should be revised and uh, their capacity building funds should be put, put in place as well as the commodities, they should be procured immediately. So now, you know, the program revival has started mm -hmm. and this is exactly the same for EPI program expanded mm -hmm. program for immunization mm -hmm. well I was gonna say that there's it's a great example there's so many donors and and development par partners working in Pakistan and what you're talking a lot about is communication but coordination um, particularly in an effort to you know, replicate good behavior mm -hmm. and, and scale interventions. Let's talk a little bit about the work of um, your project around chlorhexidine, mm -hmm. you know, where, where the project played a major coordination role. There was a lot of organizations that were contributing to the chlorhexidine effort, but your project specifically worked on coordinating this effort. Why is coordination so critical and, and how did you do it to sort of make an impact in this very important area? 
So, first we need to understand that chlorhexidine is a life-saving, uh, you know, intervention. Application of chlorhexidine to the umbilical cord of the newborn is a life-saving intervention and is a best practice that is, uh, you know, uh, known to everybody. And in Pakistan, uh, during uh, Pakistan Initiative for Mothers and Newborns project, which was again funded by USAID and JSI, implemented that for six years across Pakistan, the operations research uh, showed that there is 38% reduction in newborn mortality. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And this was published in Lancet. Mm -hmm. So the evidence was there. The next step was to convince and do advocacy with the policymakers that it should become part of the essential drug list or medicine list of Pakistan. Mm -hmm. And uh, I must acknowledge the efforts of all donors, you know, uh, like uh, USAID and uh, UN and, um, you know, GIZ and WHO, everybody worked around this and it became part of the essential medicine list. Now, once that was done, it was very easy, you know, to scale up, but we saw that uh, despite the efforts of different partners, you know, who were implementing like UNICEF, JPIGO and Mercy Corps who were, who had small pilots in a couple of districts, uh, you know, um, but it wasn't moving uh, towards a national scale up. Mm -hmm. So that's when USAID requested JSI to coordinate this effort and scale it up mm -hmm. uh, to the entire Pakistan. Mm -hmm. And JSI is also working in Nepal and there they helped the government of Nepal to scale up the chlorhexidine uh, initiative. Mm -hmm. So when we were asked to take it up, we requested uh, you know, our colleagues from JSI in Nepal to come over, sit down with the uh, government of Pakistan and share some of the lessons, you know, mm. so that we don't reinvent the wheel and start from scratch, you know. Mm. So they came over and they said, okay, now that uh, the evidence is there and everybody knows that uh, it's a best practice, it's going to save newborn lives. And especially in Pakistan, it is so important that for the last three decades, we have not been able to make a dent in reducing newborn mortality. Mm. So this was the obvious uh, choice for everybody. Mm -hmm. So they said that we need to have a national notification or a national guidelines for uh, chlorhexidine so we came up with that and we brought in all the stakeholders mm -hmm. and this is where remember I said earlier that we had to go beyond the health sector mm -hmm. so we engaged the pharmaceutical sector as well mm -hmm. and then we figured out that why we are not scaling up because uh, chlorhexidine is not produced no, locally okay. uh, in Pakistan mm -hmm. for uh, cord uh, use yeah for mm -hmm. cord care so um, so we are only playing the role of a coordinator we are not into implementation we work very closely with ministry of national health services regulation and coordination at the national level and this is our uh, intervention you know which goes beyond uh, Sindh and it is all, all across Pakistan mm -hmm. so we first came up with the national action plan mm -hmm. and then each province developed their own provincial action plan for chlorhexidine scale-up mm. and we provided technical assistance to them, build the capacity for master trainers on uh, application of uh, chlorhexidine mm -hmm. for cord care mm -hmm. and uh, we also you know uh, picked uh, one hospital in each province to serve as center of excellence so that as I said sustainability was always um, you know one of the overarching uh, principles that JSI had mm -hmm. So uh, we build the capacity of uh, teaching hospital uh, units, you know, so that uh, not just uh, in public sector, in private sector also, they can build their capacity. Mm -hmm. So now throughout Pakistan, the master trainers were trained and uh, uh, the, the healthcare providers have been trained and each province has their own scale up plan. So like Punjab has scaled up to 70%, Sindh has scaled up to 60%. And uh, likewise, other provinces, you know, according to their capacity, they are scaling it up. And we hope and believe that uh, in a year's time, like by the end of 2018, the entire Pakistan uh, will have chlorhexidine mm. uh, in intervention mm. introduced, not just in public sector, but also in private sector. Mm -hmm. So 
the pharmaceutical uh, the involvement engagement of pharmaceutical companies and the drug regulatory authority of pakistan was very critical mm -hmm. because to get chlorhexidine registered in pakistan for production by local uh, companies pharmaceutical companies uh, there was a huge queue there were at least 6000 applications you know prior to uh, chlorhexidine uh, licensing uh, for manufacturing so that is where we did advocacy with the drug regulatory authority of pakistan and requested them to take it out of the queue and on priority basis you know register so that local production can start mm -hmm. and i'm very happy to share with you that now local production has started wow. and in a month's time it will be available in open market and uh, the pricing was also set you will be surprised that the prime minister of pakistan you know fixes the prices mm -hmm. so that was done and it is going to cost 50 cents per recipient wow. to save a newborn life wow so the project took a, a health systems approach to assessing what the current situation was, bringing in different partners and donors to the table, looking at some of the gaps in terms of local production, and provided technical assistance to now move chlorhexidine forward. And to track the use of chlorhexidine, uh, we sat down with all the stakeholders and with the provinces and said we need indicators in their routine monitoring information system. Mm. So chlorhexidine indicators, they have been added to the routine health information system mm. so that we'll be able to track, you know, the use of chlorhexidine mm -hmm. as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I know the project um, undertook a couple of pilots during, during the last five years one of which was around immunization. And you talked a little bit about um, some of the challenges with routine immunization in, in Pakistan. In your project, you worked in four districts, um, mm. very low coverage um, in rural, rural parts of Sindh. Um, and you found that you could improve coverage and save costs. Can you tell me a little bit about the EPI pilot? What did mm. you learn and really how this example could be applied to other sort of service delivery interventions? So again, the EPI pilot, uh, we took it from systems perspective, you know, when uh, we saw that uh, the overall fully immunized children, you know, they are 29% fully immunized children in Sindh. Mm -hmm. And uh, when we talk, if we take out Karachi, the rural districts, the coverage was just 19%, which by any standards was not acceptable. So what we uh, did, we discussed this with the government of uh, Sindh and we said that we need to do something. And uh, although we are not the service delivery partners of USAID MCH program, but we convinced USAID that we have to take a systems approach here and see how we can improve the routine immunization. Mm. So all we did was, you know, to look at the different components of uh, EPI routine immunization system mm -hmm. and lubricated those. And what I mean by that is that it, vaccine was government's vaccine, uh, staff was government staff, you know, in the districts, mm -hmm. in these four poor performing districts. But what we did, we uh, helped them, we built their capacity first, and then we help them develop a monitoring system, you know, mm. how each one of them is going to talk to each other, like the provincial EPI manager, the district EPI manager, and then the Tessil, uh, district Tessil officers, how they are going to communicate to each other, what are some of the challenges, mm -hmm. and why each district is reporting above 89% coverage when Pakistan Demographic Health Survey showed 29% fully immunized children and in rural areas 19% so why are we reporting high coverage and that is when you know we wanted to change the behavior and institutional culture mm. that it is not always to report very high you know which are like false uh, falsify the data and present you know and try to look good 
then nobody is going to come and rectify the situation you know whereas when we carried out the baseline we figured out that there were 110 vaccinators in one particular district and there were just two motorcycles or motorbikes which were functional and on road so how the others are going to the field yeah right you can i mean this was very obvious that there's something wrong then we looked at the cold chain it there were many question marks around that then uh, talking about the capacity of healthcare providers uh, they didn't even know you know how to prepare the mm. micro plans mm. and the major challenge was that the denominator was not known so how can we ever see that we are doing good or bad mm-hmm. and that required micro census you mm-hmm. know we re- we wanted to have each and every child under two years of age registered mm-hmm. for that we took a private uh, uh, sector partner an ngo mm-hmm. rural support program network you know which is across pakistan and we said you already have your community organizations established can we use your platform to register every new birth mm. and all children under two years of age. This was all done in collaboration with the government of Pakistan and particularly Sindh. Mm-hmm. So we did that. And when we gathered data, we then provided vaccine to those districts according to the number of children over there. And mm-hmm. pregnant women were also you know, beneficiaries. So there was like work at three levels. We were working at the policy level. We were working at the implementation level and at the community level, mm. engaging the communities. There were volunteers in each community who would, you know, be part of the micro plan preparation and they would send SMS messages. So we used technology again, you know, uh, like cell phones are uh, very popular in Pakistan. Almost mm. everybody has a cell phone. Mm. So they would text a message to the uh, district uh, EPI manager and say that the vaccinator didn't come to our village Mm. or he came and he left there were 15 children to be immunized he only immunized like uh, vaccinated 10 so he has left five behind so this is what we looked at you know the operational side of routine immunization Mm -hmm. and uh, once that was done Um, the results were remarkable Mm -hmm. it is so rewarding you know to see that uh, we had more than 87 percent fully immunized children Mm -hmm. and uh, the cost for reaching out to each recipient was 56 cents and overall operational cost if we talk about everything inclusive it was 1.29 cents and this was a third party cost effectiveness analysis that was carried out by USAID Mm. So, uh, I mean, this is another example of bringing transparency to the system and sometimes shedding a light on areas that aren't as positive. How have, how have people responded? I mean, you know, it's... Yeah, it's, it's so it was, uh, you know, the government of Sindh was uh, surprised to see such a response from uh, these poor performing districts. Mm-hmm. So they scaled it up to eight more districts and uh, now they are planning to scale up to the entire Sindh. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So this was uh, recognition of, uh, you know, the good pilot and the impact of that. Mm-hmm. Is this one of the things that you're most proud of? Yeah, this is one of the <laughs> things that I'm proud of. But uh, under health system strengthening, there were many such things like chlorhexidine, like uh, EPI, uh, you know, improving the routine EPI and then increasing the primary healthcare budgets by 137%. Mm-hmm. It was unprecedented in Pakistan. Mm-hmm. And then bringing in transparency and seeing, you know, f- managers going to the field for uh, supervisory visits and now the use of information because now the health minister, the secretary health, the DG health and all the vertical program managers uh, we have built their capacity and uh, we have passed on actually we have now passed on all the control panels to the Department of Health and we still have some few months remaining in the project so that we can handhold them and if there are any teething problems that come up while they are doing it on their own 
we can uh, look at that but one important thing was establishing a platform at the district level mm-hmm. of district health and population management team you know mm-hmm. and these teams they were notified by the the chief secretary because it it's a multi sectoral forum so that was established to stock take how good or how bad the pro- district is performing mm. and what are few of the challenges that uh, require 80% of the issues they were resolved there and then mm. collectively by the health education population sector and pphi which is pa- uh, pakistan primary healthcare initiative Uh, who are managing the basic health units and other implementing partners who have been outsourced management for rural health centers they are, they all sit together every quarter and review the uh, the f- number one it's a coordination forum number two they look at uh, uh, how we are doing against the district action plan which was jointly prepared and then uh, what are few of the challenges that they cannot resolve at the district level and have to be communicated to the provincial level uh, so that they get the attention of the secretary health and the health minister and those were mostly around human resource mm. and we were asked by uh, the government of sindh to carry out health facility assessment and we did census it was not uh, you know sampling of couple of health facilities it was census so there were more than 9000 health facilities where we went and looked at uh, different aspects of uh, readiness of the health facilities from systems perspective and from service delivery also mm. again the finding which was very very surprising for everybody was that 70% of the specialist posts were lined vacant mm. and that means gynecologist obstetrician and anesthetist now if they are not there 15% of uh, complications during pregnancy how are we going to address Take that, that right? and that is why mm. we have high newborn mortality and high maternal mortality mm-hmm. in pakistan mm-hmm. ratio in pakistan mm. so when the uh, policy makers and managers they realized that we there are huge human resource gaps uh they um, you know advertised and now they have hired staff against those positions so now that will be hr gaps will be taken care of so that is the role of establishing the district health population management team you mm. know to stock take at the district level communicate remember i said there was disconnect so sure. that disconnect is gone now the minutes of these meetings are also online mm-hmm. so everything is transparent mm-hmm. so this is how you know the whole system came together mm-hmm. and uh, the last thing that i am really happy about is the regulatory part mm-hmm. because we are very good at developing policies and strategies but when it comes to compliance we don't do good and there is very little regulation you know so the sindh healthcare commission and the act was passed in 2013 and uh, when we joined the project uh, started the project there was no uh, you know implementation or operationalization of that act so we provided technical support to the department of health and now the sindh healthcare commission is up and running and very soon there will be licensing the private sector the public sector health facilities and uh, as a result you know the minimum service delivery standards will have to be uh, th- these health facilities will have to uh, be in com- compliant have to be compliant to those standards mm-hmm. so as a result the quality of care will improve not just in couple of districts but all the districts mm. and one thing i really want to share over here is i want to thank usaid that the project mnch project was for 10 districts and then it uh, was uh, scaled up to 15 districts but right from day one we discussed with usaid and we said health system strengthening component cannot be in couple of districts because then it will remain as a project but we want a program approach and we want to work in the entire sindh in all the districts and they agreed to that mm-hmm. and i think that was uh, a very wise decision by them but uh, i really want to thank them for taking that timely decision well it's it's certainly clear that a lot of uh groundwork has been laid for 
the government of sin to take forward. Um, you know, I guess when you sort of think think about all that all of the partners have contributed to during the course of the project, what are your hopes? What are you, what do you sort of think about in in ten years from now or twenty years from now when you look back at this project? What do you hope that the government of sin takes forward from all of this work that's been done over the last five years? If nothing else, I think we have built the capacity of 77 mid-level managers in two years masters in public health. So the capacity gaps will be taken care of. They will be able to better plan, mm -hmm. better implement, and uh, allocate resources according to the needs of uh, the local people, you know, their demands. and. Um, with regulation in place, the quality of care will improve. Mm -hmm. So I think by bringing transparency, accountability, the overall governance will improve. Mm -hmm. And uh, once that happens, the service delivery is going to improve, you know, because health system strengthening is like uh, providing all those nuts and bolts which are required for improved service delivery and for improving the quality of care. So that is my hope. But uh, at the federal level, the work that we have done with the ministry is around global health security agenda, mm -hmm. where the international health regulation five-year roadmap is now ready. And uh, the AMR, which is antimicrobial resistance guidelines, national guidelines, they were developed according to the national standards. And here, we even work with livestock department, with uh, name it you know climate change and others you know so there were 60 different stakeholders involved engaged in the design and development of antimicrobial resistance uh, containment national guidelines mm. and with chlorhexidine scaled up newborn lives will be saved mm. with uh, routine immunization you know uh, we have shown the way to reach out to each and every child because each and every child counts so we have to reach to the last mile and this is one way. There are many, many innovations in uh, improving the routine immunization, but our pilot has shown that living within your resources, how you can improve uh, this. So we have tried to give a package, a health system strengthening package to the government of Sindh, that it is not either or, that you work on one, you build the capacity, but you don't bring the system online and uh, bring transparency in the system, or you don't stock take, you know, there's no monitoring and supervision. So even if one of the components is weak, mm. uh, the desired results will not be achieved. So we need to look at health systems as a package mm -hmm. and it should be introduced like that. Mm. Dr. Nabila, right now in the US and Pakistan, there's a lot of discussion about how to try to increase the representation of women in the workforce and also in high standing professional positions. As a successful doctor uh, and woman doctor in a well-respected leadership role, what are your thoughts on this? What's the advice you would give to your to your daughter and your daughter-in-law, who I know you 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 love so much? Yeah, I think uh, we need to believe in ourselves. Mm. Women need to believe in ourselves. You know that we can do it, and fifty percent of population of Pakistan is you know women, or constitutes of women. So imagine if 50% of the population is not working and not contributing. It's not that you have to go to an office to contribute. Mm -hmm. It is being a mother mm -hmm. who responds to the newborn needs and who's aware of how to take care of, because I believe that mother is the first doctor, you know, that a child mm -hmm. gets and has access to. So we need to contribute positively, whether it's a housewife, a mother, or a professional, health professional, or a teacher, or a community member, mm. or a mother-in-law, it's a shared responsibility. Sure. And even the elected representatives. So we are blessed in Pakistan that in the past decade, we have seen increase in uh, increase uh, percentage of women in parliament, 
so that they wow. can uh, come up with uh, you know uh, bills and acts related to breastfeeding nutrition and others we have seen that they table those bills and uh, we have uh, you know now increasingly there are uh, female managers you know who are heading organizations banks so this is and female education is increasing mm-hmm. but we would like it to double you know mm-hmm. where we stand now but i think women they should be confident of themselves and uh, we need to put policies in place where women are accepted as uh, leaders and managers you know mm-hmm. because i strongly believe that women are better administrators than men with no <laughs> offense to men <laughs> so um, and the, one of the reflection in our program was that uh, in uh, masters in public health we made sure that 20% of the candidates they were female mm. okay well you know as someone who has you know pakistan is a lot in the news these days and um you know as someone who's worked both in pakistan and the us and spent a good amount of time in both in both countries what do you think is the biggest misunderstanding that most people have around pakistan and pakistanis Well, it's a political question, but I'll try to respond to that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, I think uh, the media, the mm-hmm. way the media portrays things, mm-hmm. uh, you know, if they want you to believe that today is a rainy day, they can make sure and mm-hmm. show you whatever to mm-hmm. believe, make you believe that it's raining, you know. Mm-hmm. So likewise, I think uh, the media plays a vital role. in uh, building the image of a country and uh, portraying a country so on both sides mm-hmm. within pakistan and outside of yes. pakistan the image that is portrayed is always terrorism it's always war it's always insecurity you know but there are good things happening yes there is i mean uh, uh, women are doing a lot of work yes. they are women pilots we had uh, f- women uh, i mean a uh, woman uh, prime minister mm-hmm. we had the first woman um, national assembly uh, uh, speaker mm-hmm. so we have uh, judges we have architects we have yes. doctors we have uh, you know huge uh, army of uh, nurses who are there so uh, they are in all the fields but that never gets portrayed mm-hmm. so i think we need to do more to bring the softer image of pakistan up by showing uh, some of these aspects as well and not just the you know the dark side of things mm-hmm. and increasing the dialogue yes yes which you've certainly done today <laughs> thank you <laughs> thank you nancy thank you dr nabila it was pleasure sitting with you yeah. here pleasure is all mine Thank you for listening to Voices of Public Health, the JSI podcast.